Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thank you for joining me. Today, a friend of content groups for many years. Michelle Melbourne has 30 years experience in government technology as co-founder of the Australian software maker IntelliDocs, which is now known as SmartIQ, which is a product of smart communications. She has a long history in delivering better online processes for citizens. Michelle has evangelized the term digital transformation for years before it was commonplace, and her company pioneered the use of AI to automate business processes. She's helped many large and complex organizations to modernize their processes, and more importantly, transform the culture and behaviours to maximise the best outcomes for citizens. In 1998, Michelle started a highly successful technology, communications and logistics company called The Communication Link, which worked on behalf of corporate and government VIPs from around the world. This involved arranging official visits to Australia by Madeleine Albright for senior US government officials and the management of various Sydney Olympic and Paralympic projects. She is currently a board member of Smart Communications, governor of the ANU Foundation Board and an entrepreneur in residence at the Canberra Innovation Network. She joins me now. Michelle, thanks very much for joining me on GovComs. Hi, David. Great to be here. We go back a long way, though. Communication link. I remember visiting you in your office, not not far from here, working away. You had a very clear idea about where you wanted to go with the business, even back then, as it evolved. And um, you've had a, a wonderful career since. Absolutely. Thank you, David. So our vision was always to blend the best of people and technology and to help government organisations to navigate the complexities of the delivery of their important work to their citizens, whether it's specifically in the ACT or around Australia or indeed around the world. Mm. So in terms of that and, and this notion of digital transformation, because now it is, as Paul Keating used to say, every galah in the pet shop is talking about digital transformation. But to you, what is digital transformation? It's very simple, David, and it's actually using the best of the technology that we have in our hands today to deliver better services to citizens. Okay. So what does that entail in terms of getting that best technology um, working in a way that it does deliver those outcomes? Well, it's a big question, how long have we got? Uh, because there's a lot of complexity to unpack in, in obviously trans, translating an aspiration into reality. Um, and there's no doubt that there's a lot of technology legacy that holds us back from, from being innovative, from being at the front line of, of technology. But is there, in terms of that holding you back, is that a, a cost thing or is it an attitude thing? Or, or what is it that, that does hold us back from adopting best-of-breed technology? Your question is the answer. So it is both legacy, uh, old habits, and also perceived uh, prohibitive cost. Uh, look, 
you know, 10 years ago, servers and memory and, you know, the kind of core infrastructure cost a lot of money. Now they don't cost so much money. We've got new challenges to have a look at right now, such as cybersecurity and, and data privacy that really occupy the minds of a lot of smart people. Um, there's always going to be a barrier to adopting new and, and innovative ways. And particularly in government service delivery, there's, there's in the past there has been, I think, a lack of knowledge in the leadership group about the value and benefit of adopting new technology. And I think that the government over the last little while has really addressed that. And they've sought to bring in the intelligence inside of, of government organisations to help the senior leadership team to actually make confident decisions about technology. Look, if I'm if I meet another senior executive from inside government that says to me, oh, Shelley, I don't understand technology, don't talk to me about that, I'm going to kick them in the shins, right? Ten years ago, I think that was an acceptable behaviour. Now it is not. There should be no senior executive in any leadership position in any organisation that says that. They need to retrain, reskill. They need to inform themselves about what technology is doing today so they can make effective decisions. How big a task is that for people to, to get across? Do you, do you need to know how to code no. or is just understanding no. how it all sort of stitches together at a high level, is, is that good enough? Correct. Yes. At an executive leadership level. Folks need to retrain themselves and reskill themselves. So there's a balance between them actually looking someone in the eye and admitting that they're not technical, in inverted commas. They must not do that. They, they can't cut corners either by pretending that they understand, but they have to go and learn. And the problem's been is that that hasn't been a thing for the last 10 years, right, or the last 20 years. Those of us who work in technology every day are learning every day. So, so you are, your knowledge is current and any executive leader, particularly in government, needs to find that time to read and learn and that's as hard as it is. It, you, I'm not talking about flying to the moon and back, right? Yeah, sure. But it, in terms of that, you know, acquiring the knowledge, do, do you think we have any good understanding about what the future is actually going to look like in terms of, you know, that continue continued evolution continued change continued impacts of technology because it's only becoming more pervasive by you know by the day yeah. you know i was watching something this morning very early this morning it was a presentation around voice and the impacts of artificial intelligence and voice and voice communication and voice with search and it's amazing amazing where we're we're headed. we're not there yet but there was a clear demonstration of what the future might look like. Mm. And I was blown away by just exactly how we're going to have to take advantage of something like voice, uh, particularly for government communicators, for example, as to how do we make sure our content um, is able to be used on, you know, Cortana and on Alexa and Google, etc. It is incredible, isn't it? And if I can take the conversation up a layer, um, it, it's all about a, a mindset of innovation, right? So inside the organisation or inside the department, the leadership and the whole culture needs to ensure that new ideas and new thinking and new products, new ways of doing things are an acceptable way of thinking in that team. 
Now, you need to balance that with practicality, right? There's two things that kind of fly in the face. I'm of... taking notes here, by the way, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> There's two things that you need to understand. One is reality 101, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And the second... Spoken like a good small business person. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the second one is how are we going to get there, right? And, and maybe there's a third one. And the third one is risk. And risk is real, right? So if you put yourself in the shoes, a senior executive inside a government agency, they're not cowboys or cowgirls, cow people. <laughs> They can't be. They have to be yep. inherently conservative, right? So that flies in the face of what the word innovation means. So somewhere there's got to be a balance or a sliding scale of where it is appropriate to be courageous and bold and innovative and other times where it's not. And yep. only they can determine that, right? But having a culture that constantly updates itself, that is constantly looking for the next version or constantly saying to ourselves... How can we make what we've already got just that next bit better, right? And if you chip away at that and you have a culture that chips away at that, it's, it's actually a lot easier than yeah. putting it on hold for 10 years yeah. and doing it in one great big bang 10 years later because, as we all know, and I'm sure you've had guests on your podcast in the past talking about failed projects, sure. things that are too big, you just can't consume them. Yeah. So start. So, so, what's the best advice, though? What, like, you've 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 had the benefit of being um, not just in Australia but around the world. You, you've you've seen best practice. You've seen how people do this well. Who does it well? Or not so much who. I don't really mind about. You know, don't need to know who. But the best practice examples. Who who are the people who really get it right and get it right? Not just with pots of money, but get it right because they get that mindset. They get that culture right. And how do they do it? Good question. And I think I could give you a few answers, but the answer that's the top of my mind is the ones that are successful are the ones who put their customers first. So who actually walk in the shoes of their, their citizen, the citizens that they serve or the customers that they serve or the customers that they want. So I suppose there's an element of, of hunger there to provide outstanding customer service. And if we then relate that to personalised service. So the best government solutions that I've seen in terms of, you know, advanced interactions and using true digital technology are the ones who've figured out how to personalise an online interaction with their citizen customer. And they've had to do that by learning and understanding how to apply data and the rules of data to the to those interactions. Um, and this is something... What do you mean by that, the well, rules it, of data? Right. So it's something that, that um, you know, I live and breathe every single day. So if you think about um, the next time you need to renew your driver's licence, yeah. why does the government need to make you fill in a form? Yeah. Piece of paper that you've got to carry around in your bag for 30 days until you go, oh, my God, I need to do that because otherwise I'm going to be in trouble. Um, and you fill in all this information on a form and you have to go line up and, and take it to the registration office, etc. That's a, a general example yeah. of a process that can use data and data in advance of that anniversary and that milestone of renewal to, to make that a seamless process for the citizen. 
so that all of the compliance boxes are ticked um, and the citizen hasn't been inconvenienced. Going back to your question, the best solutions that I've seen are the ones that inconvenience the citizen the least right. and that respect that citizen's time and respect that citizen's place, um, you know, in the community. Yeah. And governments have that data and they have the right to use that data and the citizen would... would Expect happy, them happy for them to use to, to use that. I mean, mm. we you know the navigation of privacy and and the use of data is a very important and critical element here. But your date of birth, the car you drive, and the date it's due to be renewed, and your credit card details are all online ev everywhere anyway. Yeah. So um, you know, let's get those kind of things done, and nothing like a crisis. Uh, that we're currently facing to drive a lot of the desire that governments have had to automate a lot of these everyday citizen transactions. But they need to do it with a personalised data. Interesting that, that you say that because that was just about where I was going to go next with this conversation is that we are in this crisis at the moment. The health um, component of it seems to be settling but we now move into the next part of the crisis which will be every bit as painful for many people sorry I shouldn't say that because people have lost their lives but it will be a significant challenge um, globally around the way that we do this and really you know governments looking for better ways to deliver services to citizens digital transformation is going to become even more important uh, in order to deliver for those citizens. So we're probably going to come into a, a, a different time. So this is a podcast for government communicators and government communicators often have responsibility for communicating inside the department around digital transformation programs so people can change mindsets, so people can learn new skills, so pe people can change and adapt and learn. So again, what would your advice be to government communicators who are setting out Someone's just walked up to them and said, hey, guess what? You've got the job to do uh, the communication around the transformation project. Uh, best of luck. Um, what advice would you give that government communicator uh, to ensure that they can create the mindset and um, the environment for people to learn and improve and deliver better outcomes for citizens? Yeah, great question, David. And I think it, the most important thing is to understand and amplify the benefit of the technology that right. is going to be deployed. Um, and I think it, I cannot stress enough the importance of personalised data. It's, uh, I, I don't want it to be a dirty word, I want it to be a wor two words that you, <laughs> that you celebrate because used in the right way, your personal data is going to do you a favour when it comes to um, being a citizen of, of, of the world or a citizen of the government. But if I could just stop you there for a second. So in, in Australia, obviously, at the moment, there's a conversation around the, the tracking app. Um, and there are, you know, there is a conspiracy of, you know, government's going to use our data and they're going to track us and they're going to follow us around. Now, as far as I can work out, it doesn't, you know, that's not what it's going to do. It basically is a tracking app that... that 
basically serves into a, a, a data warehouse somewhere that then state officials, not the federal, they'll never see it, but state officials can then use it for tracing when they need to, to understand where people are. But there is that underlying suspicion about, you know, government with our data. Now, we're quite happy to give it to, you know, the local shopping centre and we give it all to Facebook for nothing and we give it all to Google and everybody else for nothing. But when it comes to government, there seems to be that barrier of, oh, yeah, but I don't want to give it to them. So how do you make personalised data work in the government context? Well, um, uh, look, that that app and the context of personal data are, are two different things in my mind. Okay. So personalised data is – the context is that the government can interact with you in a timely and personalised way. Yep. Right? So let's say that you're interacting with a government agency um, – because you've had the joyous experience of having a new family member, yeah. you have had a baby, and you are adding that baby uh, to your to your government records. Yeah, it's a joyous, happy occasion. <laughs> so the content that you should interact with, yeah, is joyous and happy. Yeah, and can be targeted content that should should be, but it's not specifically authored to that audience. Yes. Right, you know, it might be an 80-20 rule. We're making some assumptions that sure. there's a certain age demographic, there's a certain kind of stage of life that, that those joyous folks have. Um, so there's a whole bunch of assumptions that a government, a good government communicator can assume yep. and target the right language in the right time to those folks who are applying to, let's say, add a newborn child to your Medicare card. Now, conversely... The other extreme is a not-so-joyous, usually single person has to interact in exactly the same process to update their Medicare record, but at a tragic or sad occasion. So to remove somebody yep. from that, that benefit. And so you don't want to communicate with them in the same way sure. as a joyous, happy... Yes addition to the families, right? So it's a very simple, obvious explanation. It's the same government process yep. that you would fill in a form at, but government communications can be very personalised and tailored to that experience. Now, if you extrapolate that out yep. to the thousands and thousands of, of government processes that we need to interact with every day, good, strong, personalised communications... Yep. can really do a government a great service and and lead to building trust with with its citizens and its constituents by interacting with it in a timely and accurate way. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because if you then think about that experience that the citizen may have, they have an experience from their point of view as I'm dealing with one government where in actual fact they're dealing with one government but services delivered by multiple um departments and agencies. How do you use digital transformation to join up that experience in such a way that I feel like, okay, I'm getting this from one government, I'm not getting it from 15 different people who are asking me to go to this website and that website and, you know, text-based, very heavy, not simple. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a big task to yeah. reform, isn't it? It is, and the key word there is reform. So one would say if you look back 10 years, it would be great to not be in a position to have to reform something, wouldn't it? 
So if back then the agencies had have chipped away at investing in technology, and it doesn't have to be over the horizon kind of stuff. It just needs to make, they just need to make sure that they're current, that they're in today's current version so they don't get behind. And if they look up and look out, they will have seen what's coming and yep. will have known what to prepare their budgets for and they will have known what to learn about and they will have known how to hire the right people who know about this stuff yep. to help them get it right. Yep. It shouldn't be a surprise to them. Right. So right now we're all looking at, uh, you know, you talked about voice, yeah. um, AI. There's a whole lot of stuff that that is kind of here and now but you wouldn't actually expect a government agency to to deploy it because it's kind of new and a bit risky. But I would fully expect that they have a whole team of people who are super smart, super interested in that and super focused on that and that they have started to experiment with how that will help them deliver their services better. Would you be surprised if there's not a whole heap of people working on that? I, I would be very disappointed if that was not the case. Yeah. And, and so it goes back to what I said about those leaders being educated yeah. and knowledgeable. They need to know what to ask for. Yeah. They need to not be hoodwinked by the legacy, yeah. Yeah, by the copper pipes in their organisations who are saying we're the most important. Yeah. You know, don't, don't rip us out. So there's a balance there. Right. What's your view? You know, we have seen here in Australia, and I'm sure it's common around the world, that you know the bureaucracy moved quickly, agile, speed. We've seen speed in the last month. We haven't seen, you know, in the last four weeks, things have moved faster than they have in 40 years. You know, like it's really been um, quite stunning in some ways the way they've been able to make decisions, um, spin up new programs. Uh, reallocate resources, move people around. Like, it's been pretty impressive. How do we sustain that over time? And, and does digital transformation or can digital transformation play a key role in that agility and speed and that that could be the next place where we invest that sort of energy and mindset to, to deliver change, which delivers the benefit to the citizen? Mm. Well, again, David, your question is the answer. So um, I think there's a whole new generation of thinking that uh, this crisis has brought about inside uh, many large and complex organisations and indeed smaller organisations. Um, and I think that those of us in the, in the supply side have been evangelising these benefits to governments for 20 years <laughs> and, and saying to them they need to take action and this is really important. Um, and if only I had have had the confidence to say... You know, when there's a global pandemic, you might need to be ready. But I never thought to say that. We, I'm sure you tried lots of we, other lines. We had always we had always thought that it was in the best interest of the citizen to yeah. to and that was enough to do this, and that should have been enough. But but clearly, it wasn't. Um, however, it's always it's always this nice to have versus have to have dilemma that the leaders have honestly, when it comes down to their budget and their resources. You know, they're, but they're doesn't that get back to your, your earlier point then around sort of incremental? Like yes. this, you know, as yes. soon as this becomes a big thing, yeah. you're no chance. But it's really staying up on your toes, looking yep. for that next improvement. That's right. And it could be anywhere, couldn't yes. it? You know, across yes. the – it may be technology, but it may be a skill 
or it may be a yes. a work practice or a Inno- process. Innovation can come I like from, that. That's innovation a, can come from anywhere yeah. inside an organisation, and a leader, a good leader, should be encouraging that. And those robust discussions about what innovation do we back this month, yeah. or what innovation do we back this quarter? Who gets the money? Should be a it was celebration and a, a competitive um, innovation of a culture of innovation that that leader deliberately drives and generates inside that organisation. So once it's up and running, it it becomes a self-fulfilling thing that people get used to consuming the next version of something instead of shying away from it. They get used to and ask for it. They say, what's next? How can we do this better? In terms of, uh, because I think one of the other fascinating parts of the the response to um, the pandemic is the necessity for most people or a lot of people to work from home. Mm. So everyone's had to go from home. So all of a sudden, everybody's had to get used to the technology of working from remote. Yes. Now, these technologies have been around for yes. forever. Um, yes, well, I used the first version of Zoom probably eight years ago. Okay, so there you go. Yeah. But now everyone, yeah. you know, from grandparents yes. um, taking <laughs> phone calls to children, everyone's had this acceleration in terms of those sort of even basic sort of digital skills. Do you think that's going to help? Do you think that? Absolutely. Do you, know, do you think that's going to start to sort of shake loose um you know, the opportunities, really, and again, those incremental opportunities to improve, which ultimately, if you can improve the process, you improve the outcome for the citizen. Absolutely. Mm. 100%. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where that sticks. You know, will it stick for people who are in, in regional centres or who are, who are disabled or, you know, will it be that kind of fringe or will it become mainstream? Yeah. Um, and I think I think certainly the Australian government has made many, many steps in the right direction for for adopting new technology, absolutely. Um, They've had so many competing interests for budget that that just can't do everything, right? So I think now this will change the way that leaders prioritise their investments. Um, and, And ironically, they'll see that it's freeing them up to do more. So that process automation concept that I was talking about, yep. let's say their call centres, their citizen call centres or yep. their customer communications loads will actually be more effective in their delivery if they're using this personalised content and if they're putting the citizen first, they'll have less rework. They'll have less calls to call centres for people complaining or com- people who need more information because they've been able to get it right at the front end using citizen-centric, cloud-based, intelligent technology. It may or may not be driven by AI, right, but they need to be looking at that. It can be that, and AI really is just data that drives other data. It's been around forever. It's not new. Um, It's just the better version and the better version and the better version of that. Yeah. So, how then do you sustain? But and and if we have seen this this benefit, how do you sustain? How do you sustain it? And how do you stop the system just going back to what it's always done? Like I'm just going to go back and okay, that's that's over now. That's yep. past. Yeah. And I'll just go back to the way I've always done things. Yes. How do how do we stop that happening? Well, technology is all about people. Okay. So it will be the people and the leadership. I've I've said it twenty times in our short conversation. Yeah. It's about leadership. So, so governments that need, that need to or want to succeed 
in, in this regard, in, in dealing with their citizens effectively in an online world, they need to make sure their leadership team get that mm. and hire for that and train for that. Yeah. Uh, because if they don't, it won't happen. In terms of where you see things happen, so say in 10 years' time, let's sort of throw ourselves down the road a little bit. Where, what does a, what does the, you know, not only the Australian public service, but what does the future public service, you know, a global or global public services around the world, what do they, they start to look like as process automation takes hold, as machine learning starts to take hold, as artificial intelligence starts to sort of or continues to mature into whatever it is going mm. to be into the future? What does it start to look like? What do we start to see? Well, it's interesting. I think there's a movie made. There's a few movies about that, isn't there? Um, <laughs> That's a big question, Dave. Yeah. Um, I think that each agency will be able to be more interactive with other agencies. Yeah. I mean, we're already seeing that, that there, there is a lot of information sharing between agencies now. Um, and I think that it will serve us all well as citizens of this nation to use that in, for an efficiency dividend. That, yeah. that that interaction between the agencies is going to be increasing. Um, so I think, therefore, the perhaps the lines between agencies might be blurred um, yeah. and, and that that will keep growing. And also that the new generation of people being hired into government agencies will be critical to its success in the future. And those new entrance into government agencies need to be digital humans. Yes. They need to be well-versed well yep. uh, with perhaps micro-credentials yep. in specific relevant technologies. Yep. So they are actually subject matter experts. If you like, the, the plumbers and the electricians of, of the industry need to be coming into government with yep. these skills hardwired. Um, I'd be very, very interested to see what the government's thinking about um, its reinvigoration of the vocational education and training system because that is key to this. Uh, we don't all need double-degree software engineers to be walking around the corridors. Don't get me wrong, they're very important, wonderful humans, but it is, it is the practical elements of this technology that needs to be rolled out in the corridors of these agencies. And, and what sort of, when you talk about that micro-credentialing around that specific skill set, what are the sorts of skills that, that are going to be needed to enable digital transformation? It's actually getting easier um, as the technology matures. It's, it's more and more accessible to more and more parts of our kind of human capability. Um, so the biggest trend at the moment is, is I suppose, a... a, a a genre or a, a group of technologies called customer relationship management. Yep. So essentially databases of information that relate to, to citizens or customers and the ability to manipulate or interact with those systems. Yep. Um, and then, so if you, if, you, if you have that in the middle or at the back end of a, of a, a solution or a workflow, yep. then you've got some kind of dynamic front end that could be, uh, you know, entered through a website, through a portal... Um, and it's using that data then to produce some kind of result or an outcome. Let's go back to your driver's licence, your annual driver's licence renewal. Has anything changed, David? Have you changed your address? Yes or no? And thank you, your digital licence has been 
produced and it resides somewhere yeah, now, wherever. right? So there's there's been very little interaction for you. So the 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 government people of the future will need to understand that process and the design thinking behind it. Yep. Um, and that. Like I said before, walking in the shoes of the of the customer is really important. So making that easy. Um, so I think that you'll find a more human face to technology experts inside government. Um, as technology matures, it becomes more relatable and more accessible to mm. to everybody. Because they do talk, you know, the technical skills, as you say, are important and you need to have some sort of understanding, but more and more uh, in terms of uh, digital transformation, this notion of soft skills and being yes. able to communicate with other people yeah. is uh, placed on an equal standing. Well, but, I you know, you've got to get the people bit right as well as you've got to get I, the other bit right. It is actually the differentiator, David. Yeah, right. It is the differentiator. So the successful projects around the world are the ones who have that strong leadership that, that run a really good change management program, that really communicate early and often and effectively to the, their stakeholder groups, they are the ones who are, more often than not, successful. Yep. All right. Well, listen, I do, we'll have to get you back because that was a great conversation and I think we can pick up another topic, a sort of a, maybe a narrower, niche topic that um, uh, goes to this issue of digital transformation because I do think that this, you know, we are going to find ourselves in a space where we've got to continue to educate ourselves and I think as communicators, your last point is exactly, you know, change management, stakeholder engagement, strategic communication, like it's as far as I'm concerned, it's pretty much all the same. You know, it's about people, isn't it, ultimately, and getting those people to into the mindset, you know, hearts and minds, getting that bit connected to it, um, making sure that they are walking in the shoes of the citizen and the pe person that they're seeking to serve and trying to deliver those outcomes as best as they possibly can. So thank you for coming in to the uh, studio here in Canberra. Very grateful that you could do that um, on a beautiful autumn day here in Canberra. Absolutely beautiful weather. Um, and to you, the audience, thank you for coming back once again. We will be back at the same time uh, in a couple of weeks, but we have started um, to start to build out a bit of a platform around GovComs. I've actually done this as a bit of an indulgence over the years and just like to uh, um, put it out there and have lot, not, lots of great conversations and I think we're now up to 205, 6, 7, something like that. Um, but what we're starting to do now is to actually take it a bit more seriously and I did uh, tease you a couple of weeks ago about an idea and I still can't tell you about that idea but I'm I will in a couple of weeks' time. But we now have a Facebook page. Um, and uh, so if you'd like to go and jump over onto the Facebook page, that would be great. And we're going to start to build out a bit more of a solid platform under this idea of GovComs and see what we can do in terms of our service to you, uh, the audience, and see what we can do about sort of capturing a lot of the value that we get from our audiences, such as Shelley Melbourne has given us today. So stay tuned for that, but jump over across to Facebook, get involved with that. That would be great. Uh, but for the moment i am very grateful that you have come back again but we will be back at the same time in two weeks uh, but for the moment it's bye for now you've been listening to the govcoms podcast if you enjoyed this episode be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes